0: Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash workwithruss. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts, and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values, and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well hello and welcome to this week's show. Before I get into this week's interview, which is with Steve Prostano from the Ultra High Net Worth Institute. I just wanted to say a massive thank you to those who have supported the show via the uh, page that I mentioned on on last week's show. If you missed it, you can now support the show. There is now a specific page over at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash support, which outlines all the different ways that you can support what I'm doing with the podcast. So thank you to those who have already done that and if you are looking to do so I've made it really easy by setting up a specific page so head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash support and uh, there's a list there of, of ways you can do that so um, let's get into this conversation it was a, a great chat with Steve um, I'm a big fan of the work that the ultra high net worth Institute are doing And I really think it would be great if you work with families, um, it's a great place to to go and check out some of the resources and their mission. Um, I think it will have a really big influence on the way services are delivered to families um, over time. So I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll, I'll hand over to that chat now. Hello and welcome to this week's show. I am really pleased to be joined by Steve Prostano and we are going to be talking about the Ultra High Net Worth Institute. Those of you who have listened to the interview with Jim Grubman recently will be aware of uh, some thought leadership from the Institute but we're going to be talking to Steve uh, about a bit more of what the Institute is there for uh, and how you can get involved. But firstly, just to, to give Steve a brief introduction and then I'll uh, I'll pass over him to, to fill in any gaps. But he is a partner at PKF O'Connor-Davies in New York. He's head of family advisory services and is the founder of the Ultra High Net Worth Institute. So firstly, Steve, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Russ. It's great to be here. Appreciate it.
0: And we're going to be talking about the Institute throughout this show, but to, to give our audience a, a flavor of the kind of background of thought that's gone into to the issue, can you give us an overview of your career today, your experience, and how you came to be doing what you're doing now?
1: Um, sure, Russ. Uh, the first thing I'll say was it, that it wasn't specifically planned. But <laughs> as I reflect on um, my education, which was both legal and tax, um, and my experience, as well as the career progression... It really mirrored the evolution of the wealth management and multifamily office industry. So from advising wealthy families on financial and tax matters uh, to my experience in private banking and then global asset management. um, And then as the multifamily office industry was born, if you will, um, I believe in 2001, my focus really... Was on the ultra high net worth and family offices and um, building multifamily offices and/or platforms to support their needs. Um, so, just very briefly, um, I did start my career in public accounting at KPMG in the tax department, serving. Um, multi-generational families of the firm, um, providing financial and tax advice. Um, many of these families, um, as I said, were multi-generational, but also had family offices. And what I really started to realize was that although I was advising on the tax and financial um aspects of their life uh, their life was far more complex and as i became more and more of a trusted advisor to these families the issues um beyond tax and financial planning um always were part of the conversation so it it was uh, a time that really um, intrigued me and and really if you will uh, created the foundation for what i was going to do in the future Um, i then moved on to the boston company which was uh, a shearson lehman american express company back in the early 90s Um, and at that time i was responsible for building out what I would call centers of excellence for the advisor teams. So what we provided were consulting or advisory services in financial, tax, uh, estate planning, philanthropy, you know, et cetera, to support these teams and their clients. Which was um, a great transition for me. I got more and more involved in management and. That was uh, a time of uh, consolidation in the financial services industry. And I had the opportunity to run the um, entire integration for the Boston Company and Mellon Bank. So today that's BNY Mellon. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was quite interesting. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go to Chase Manhattan Bank with a mentor, and um, because of that integration experience, developed a plan to integrate their four global private banks, geographically siloed at the time, which were Europe, Asia, Latin America, and the U.S., and did some extensive research on the needs of global families, which, you know, again, solidified my my fascination with field tri-net worth and um wealth management and and the needs of these uh, client segments. Uh, from there, um, I actually ran the global asset management division for Chase um, throughout the rest of the 90s. And then, as I mentioned before, as we kind of turned the page into 2000 and the multifamily office industry was, was born, um, I focused on the ultra net worth. And my first stop was at uh, Fleet Boston Financial, where I built out their ultra high net worth platform. Uh, And they were serving ultra high net worth families um, throughout the United States. Um, And then really focused a lot more on consulting for families and also had the opportunity to build and run several multifamily offices, the first being Atlantic Trust, which was a $17 billion uh, multifamily office with multiple locations in the US, Um, and then Silverbridge Advisors, which was um, a Boston-based but national uh, multifamily office. And then I had the opportunity to build what I think is the first global multifamily office uh, for BNP Paribas and Bank of the West. Mm -hmm. And what uh, I was able to do was leverage the global capabilities of one of the largest wealth managers in the world, BNP Paribas, for the benefit of our clients in the United States. And that was another fascinating experience. And today, which... um, I think is very much in line with the trends we're seeing in the ultra net worth space um, i joined pkf o'connor davies to head up as you said the family advisory service practice within um, the family office division and what we're doing there is helping families with strategic family enterprise planning and the focus is really on the non-financial advisory services that that families need
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and then simultaneously founded the um Networth Institute so it all seems to have converged at one time
0: yeah and and i'm fascinated by the the career history it's such a diverse um career history in terms of the number of family situations that you must have been exposed to throughout the sort of it's almost the development of that family office and ultra high net worth space. It sounds as if you've been right at the forefront of what's been happening and what's been changing within that um, space, particularly in in the markets
1: in in the US. Would that be fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really started at uh, KPMG with some of those families that, you know, were, as I said, Working with me on the tax and financial issues they face, but in reality, many of them had so many issues from the family dynamics and family governance areas uh, that um, you know we've seen kind of full circle uh, that becoming almost the most important. Uh, domain or discipline that families are focused on these days. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And the reason um, we're we're having a conversation today is that specific relation to the ultra high net worth Institute, as I say, it has been mentioned on the show a a couple of times uh, in the past. But I'd like to to dig a little bit deeper into um, the Institute itself and how it came about. So can you just give us a feel for how you got started
1: in, in terms of creating the Institute? Again, it wasn't <laughs> planned, um, and it um, started with um, a request by the Family Wealth Report uh, for me to pull together a panel for their Family Office Summit back in 2018, and I wanted to examine the various financial service business models that were serving the ultra-high net worth and family offices. And I also wanted to do it from the perspective of senior operating executives that Number one have, you know, been in the industry for decades, but also have been serving these families through several different business models. So whether those were you know broker dealers or trust companies or or private or commercial banks, multifamily office, etc. Um, so I, you know, chose a group of individuals that I've known that have extensive experience, and we had um, a phenomenal. Um, panel discussion. And the answer was, you know, no, there's not one model that is satisfying all the needs. There are some great models out there and there are some great firms out there. But the more interesting thing that I found was that the discussion with conference attendees start to focus on the age old issue of just confusion in the marketplace. So families just do not understand the value proposition for these business models. They do not understand what they represent from a legal and regulatory perspective. And, um, no one is really helping them with that question, if you will, in their minds. And, yeah. and actually, they might not even realize that they are not aware of the different business models and have to clarify that. So, um, the co-founders and I, who were the panelists, um, sat down and really discussed this. And together, we decided that we would like to create a nonprofit educational initiative that was focused on... You know, producing exceptional thought leadership in the family wealth space uh, for the benefit of the alternate worth families and and family offices that we all served, um, but also the advisors, um, in order to allow them to better serve these client segments, regardless of the business model that they are um, working within. So we. Um, Incorporated, uh, we became a nonprofit, but as important, um, we wanted to operate as an independent think tank and, if you will, offer an intellectual understanding of the uh, family wealth space, which we did not really think was being done. So that, that was the origin of the, the institute.
0: Fantastic. And I know that you mentioned you got the panel together from people that you had been working with and that you knew and could sort of pick up the phone to something like that. The Institute doesn't just happen and come together. It takes an awful lot of work and an awful lot of effort and commitment. How easy was it for you to find people with the same mindset that there is this need for the educational side there is this need for it to be this not-for-profit basis rather than focus on on profits because the the reason i ask that is is i understand what you're saying about the business models and that they typically and i might be being slightly unfair here but they're typically designed for what the best outcome is for that business i.e. they need to be profitable, they need to, to serve clients well, but they they need to make money at the end of the day. Whereas the focus seems to be from the institute's perspective that it's on the end client. It's on it's on based on the needs and wants of those families that it's there to, to help serve. How easy was it to find people who shared that sort of vision for, for what you're creating?
1: It was relatively easy. Um and, and people actually reached out. Um, Thanks to Family Wealth Report. So, Fam- Family Wealth Report uh, published, um, I believe, two articles that I wrote subsequent to the panel discussion on business models. And they also mentioned, in quotes, the educational initiative at the conclusion. And many individuals that have been in the family wealth space for decades, as I have been, um, actually reached out to see what we were doing, uh, what the mission of the organization was, and they literally volunteered their time. And we have, to date, assembled over 40 um, what I would call family wealth thought leaders you know, from the industry who are all volunteering. Um, what I will observe is that um, over the course of these last 40 years, there were probably several hundred um individuals that have been focused in the family wealth space, that whether it's through six degrees of separation or directly knowing each other, um, have um, spent time together over these last few decades. And several observations uh, that I would make is the um, common theme that We love this client segment and we love our clients. Mm -hmm. So just our focus, regardless of the business model or who we work for, has been on the client period. It's always first and foremost. There's a great deal of respect across the group um, before the Altra Net Worth Institute. And um, I think any one of the individuals that is involved today would... um, essentially do anything for their clients. So it's um, been an ex- exciting opportunity to work with these individuals, you know, with a common mission you know, behind the group.
0: Yeah, and thinking now more on some of the specifics of the Institute itself, what what does it consist of? There, there's a we've spoken with with Jim about the ten domains of of family mm-hmm. wealth and as, as a piece of thought leadership. Um, been lots of positive responses um, following that episode as, as mm-hmm. a, a fantastic way of visualising uh, the model. How's that then translated into what's within the sort of uh, institute itself?
1: Sure, um, we first hope that we can be. Truly, the definitive resource in the family wealth space, and we'll be providing resources, insights, you know, educational programs, et cetera. Uh, we hope people will come to us for best practices, um, et cetera. Um, wh- how we've structured our organization, what I would say is very similar to a university, if you will. So we do have um, an advisory board, which you know consists of. Many senior operating executives across these various business models, as well as other thought leaders in the various domains and expertise. But then we also have a, um, if you will, faculty uh, that's headed by a content and curriculum board and content and curriculum board chair, which is Jim Grubman. And the board consists of um, Susan Weiner, Tom McCullough and Dennis Jaffe and then we have domain champions, which Jim may have mentioned, Uh, so a chair for each of the 10 domains, and then faculty associated with each of the domains that um, are managed, if you will, by the domain chairs. So uh, the responsibility of the, the Content and Curriculum Board is uh, both um, to generate original content in their specific domains and, and in an integrated way, but also we are curating what we hope is some of the best content you know, out there uh, today for the benefit of our you know, constituencies.
0: I've been fortunate enough to have a a kind of a look behind the scenes in terms of um, what's behind the Institute itself and the the, the 10 domains kind of drives how the content within there is organized and what what it allows somebody to do. So if I'm providing some advice and, and guidance to a family and there's a particular area where I'm not an expert in it, but I'm aware of it. I can go into the Institute and look for, um, up-to-date relevant, uh, content based on that particular domain to help me guide my clients to someone who is an expert in that, um, arena. Um, and again, it's a a mixture of it's blogs and
1: and videos and, and podcasts and all sorts in there, isn't it? We're using all different types of mediums. Um, from you know written articles and white papers to obviously podcasts and videos, et cetera. So yes, uh, kind of across the board. And what what I also might add is that you know we originally contemplated starting to, if you will, publish uh, content because of the number of faculty members that had already joined the Institute. But we chose to actually step back and and be more thoughtful about it. We wanted an organizational scheme or taxonomy, if you will. And um, from that discussion um, in a subcommittee that was led by Jim Grubman, uh, we did come up with the the 10 um, new domains of family wealth, which represent that conceptual framework for understanding the overall set of issues and it's been great and we will be if you will categorizing all of our you know publications programs etcetera, you know in one of these 10 domains
0: mm-hmm. and you mentioned that the it sort of came out of the conversations that you were having uh following the, the family wealth report panel back in 2018 at that point covid and the current situation the pandemic that, that we've all faced over the last 12 months it, it hadn't even um started to happen so ha- how has the sort of plans changed from what was happening in 2018 and discussions that come from there how have you had to adapt to kind of deal with uh, as we all are
1: what, what's going on in the world at the moment well it's from um several different perspectives we had to modify our plans from a nonprofit business perspective. We had plans to launch a, a our membership and to that was about to launch in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that that was delayed for for a number of months Um, in that regard. We also had outlined, you know, significant number of, if you will, membership benefits, some of which were, you know, programs, which would have been, you know, in-person programs and educational, you know, events, things of that nature. So those obviously have moved to virtual events um, for for our various members, Um, but we're hopeful that, you know, over the course of this year, uh, or maybe toward the end of the year, and certainly next year, that will we'll continue with a combination of both uh, the virtual and, you know, in-person events. Um, in terms of content, um, I mean, we've, we've seen a number of trends over the years. And um, what I would say is the first has been you know, the, the focus on conflict-free objective advice, and both for financial and non-financial services and a S I would put an emphasis on the non-financial services becoming more and more and more important for families. And, and that continues. And, and as it relates to the advice, and then my next comment, which is the, the need on the part of a family for an advisor who can help them navigate all the issues and components, if you will, of their family enterprise. So whether they have an issue with their, their operating business, whether they have an issue with philanthropy, whether, you know, they have an issue with um, human capital related. Um, topics, um, they want an advisor to do that. And I think the crisis has re-emphasized those needs, Um, you know, and especially with the time sensitivity around, you know, a crisis. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would mention is that the... um, if you will, work that has been done by families, whether it's within the biz, operating business context and or the family governance context, um, for some families failed during the crisis. Right. So whether it was in terms of the leadership chosen or assumed uh, to be the right choice or or the decision making processes in place. So uh, as we went through the crisis many families you know focused on the crisis but then almost simultaneously or soon thereafter kind of started to relook at the work that they were doing in those areas in terms mm-hmm. of learning and development, uh, that next generation or that transition or succession plan that they had in place. I'm seeing
0: similar where, where there's, I think particularly now, I, I, I'm obviously over in the, the UK and we, we are on a what's been called a roadmap out of the, um, the, the crisis. I've, uh, funnily enough, heard it referred to as the road to Damascus, which um, I think is a, a really nice way of, uh, of putting it. Um, yeah. th- there will be people listening in in countries who are at different stages in terms of the sort of um, progression of, of what's happening with the COVID situation. But as businesses are emerging and as families are emerging from this into whatever new normal would would look like. The, the, again, the way in which the institute is structured is to access to information and events. And um, you and I have got a, a leadership event um, this evening, actually, um, on the institute as well. That Those type of events are, um, particularly for me, again, because I'm in the UK and, and the um, events are happening in, in the States, that virtual element of it that... is being provided by the institute is proving really valuable because it's allowing people to to join in from around the world and although it is predominantly u.s based in terms of the the feet on the ground it's a global project right it's it's something that is open to, to
1: everybody Absolutely. Um, from a membership perspective, we are, you know, talking with a number of firms and individuals that that are interested, and in, we're very interested in having um, people from around the world join the institute. We think that the work that we're doing is without question global. I think anyone in the space would definitely um, agree that the issues these families are facing are are um, very consistent. Um, across the globe, you know, when it comes down to actually delivering effectively, uh, it sometimes depends on a number of, of issues from, you know, cultural language, you know, communication nuances to um, tax legal regulatory issues. But the needs of the family and the operating business, et cetera, are um very, very consistent.
0: Again, just from a clarification perspective, who are you looking at
1: bringing in as members for the uh, institute? So we have um, a number of different membership categories. Um, the first being individuals, which um, include, if you will, professionals. We have various levels, um, the highest being the leaders, council members who uh can be an individual or can be a professional from a particular firm, financial services or otherwise. And we're looking to that group. To really help us drive content, you know, they have their eyes and ears to the ground. They are actually working on a day, daily basis, twenty four seven with these types of clients, and they know, you know, what the issues are that these families are facing currently or in real time. Enterprise level membership includes financial service firms, or firms in general serving the ultra high net worth. There are different, you know, um, fee structures for firms that are under 100 employees versus over 100 employees. Uh, we also have uh, categories for nonprofits and other types of kind of industry organizations. There are groups of family offices. Then we also have membership categories for families and for family offices. So our constituencies are families, family offices, and the advisors that serve them. So we're trying to accommodate each of those constituencies as members
0: yeah and i, I think as well as uh, the sort of the overall aim is to to bring you utilizing the um 10 domains model it allows firstly professional services firms who may fit in with one of those domains to, to find out more about what else is in those other domains, but also to, to network and to create relationships with organizations who fit into those other domains as well. And again, ha- having been to um, a few of the events that, that you've held, the feeling, the atmosphere that that is created in those is very welcoming. It's very um, kind of friendly. And I, I know that should be Obvious, um, and it should be something that that is always there. But but it it is something that's very apparent in in the discussions and the events that, that you're holding. It
1: goes back to the comment I made about the individuals serving these client segments being all trying to work their of family office. That that common bond is you know their, their love for the industry and for serving these types of clients and. Um, to the extent that you know they can better themselves and or assist others in the industry i think that's why you know you get that feeling at the events yeah uh,
0: and are you seeing examples of where firms are joining and are being able to to utilize that that network to collaborate um, more uh, I, I want to say better but that, that sounds as if it's all been done wrong before but it, it it's a, a easier way to collaborate with people because it is around this um, sort of common uh, platform common model
1: um, yes so I've seen um, individuals leaders council members other members you know on, on their own pull other members together on various topics and issues that they're facing and um, Additionally, I'm working with one firm right now that has a number of, uh, I would call uh, them practice management questions. And um, some of our leadership team is going to be you know, talking with them. We call them rapid response conference calls, if you will, on various issues. But uh, we're also pulling together um over either, you know, kind of breakfast, lunch, or late afternoon, you know, smaller groups of leaders council members who, you know, have a similar question or issue and would like to network with their peers mm-hmm. more informally. And we're going to be doing that every other month. And
0: if people are listening to this and they're wanting to find out more about the Institute, how they might want to, to get involved, are you looking for other people to, to sort of form the faculty side, or are you, are you
1: looking for uh, members to, to join the institute itself? Um, it's it's a combination. So we certainly um, welcome new faculty members and and new members, and we have. Um, Similar to the criteria we have for publishing um, external content, if you will, and or curated content, you know, we have criteria in terms of our membership, you know, we are committed to avoiding the appearance of pay to play and or the promotion of commercial activities. You know, the people we like to attract, number one, on the faculty side, are thought leaders have extensive experience in one or more areas of expertise, Um, but The membership we hope are joining because they're standing behind the mission and, uh, they know that they can help us, uh, accelerate the achievement, you know, of that mission and Mm -hmm. and add great value. So, um, it's, it's, we've been able to assemble a great group on both sides.
0: What we have seen, what we've spoken about already a little bit on on this um, show is that the evolution of the marketplace for the ultra high net worth um, families and and the family enterprises, um, I guess it's quite difficult to see what's coming next because two years ago, who'd have seen a a global pandemic coming next, but are are there any sort of evolutions that you're seeing as the next stage towards that? Do you see further evolutions of this going forward in terms of, you know, firms working closer together or the needs adapting for, for families in this space? I think
1: the Institute will hopefully satisfy the, if you will, educational needs, which are broader than just the nine content domains, but um, within that advisor-client relationship domain and I guess the integrated financial management piece, um, helping them by developing tools to support their understanding of the financial service industry and the business models will be, I think, beneficial. What I do see is kind of the biggest trend in financial services is the need for these various business models to transform the way in which they're delivering these services. So the um, advice that I mentioned and specifically conflict-free objective advice is kind of priority, if you will, of families today. And traditionally, financial service firms are delivering investment management, trust, banking and lending services, products. Mm -hmm. And they have struggled with the delivery of an integrated multidisciplinary approach. These particular families need, mm-hmm. and um, it also is costly, you know, to the firm because this talent doesn't come free, mm-hmm. and um, they have um, a, a price tag to pay if they're going to get into the space. So, developing that kind of new modern approach to delivering this type of uh, service. I think they also need to understand the the client better, the benefits of delivering advice in terms of the long term relationship that you develop with these types of families um, and other things. But I think that's going to be the biggest issue over the next you know ten years.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, just echoing that and, and building on that, is that what you're doing is being driven by the needs of the marketing you know so well it's not something where this is a new business idea and let's hope it works this is being driven by the needs of uh, the families that the um potential members will be serving so it it is something that in my view if i may be so bold as to say needs to be listened to it is something that needs to be recognized Mm -hmm. and, and to be taken on on board because if you don't then someone else will, and those are the ones that are then going to end up better serving the clients that, that they're aiming to work with. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, it should become something that's quite a virtuous circle in terms of those that are getting involved and buying into the way in which this is, is put together will be the ones that benefit from it, which ultimately mm-hmm. will benefit the families that they serve, which is the aim of the,
1: the mm-hmm. institute. No, and I think one of the other things that you're getting to is is this idea of family, which also includes the rising or next generation. Mm -hmm. And the families are also struggling with how to best develop that generation, how to engage that generation, but simultaneously financial service firms and other advisors serving these families are also unsure of the best way in which to serve the next generation and uh, how to approach it and one of our upcoming events, I believe April and May, is going to be specifically on that. How do you, how do you serve the entire family? Fantastic.
0: And for those that are listening who want to find out more um, and to, to get involved, where's the best place for them to head?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think our website. So www.uhnw.com institute.org you can contact us directly you know through the website you'll get some um, great information there and should you choose to um, join as a member uh, you'll have a member login to our member portal and resource library fantastic and we will provide links to all of those in the
0: show notes so if you head to the uh, the show notes for this episode you'll find those links there um for now, Steve, thank you very much for your um, time and uh, insights, uh, particularly on the, the Institute itself. Uh, it is something that I have seen and have been to a few of the events and, and I can highly recommend, if nothing else, just checking it out and, and finding out what it's all about. But um, it'd be fantastic for people to get involved with. So, uh, thank you very much for your time.
1: It's been a pleasure, Russ, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks listening i really do appreciate it if you found the
0: show helpful please consider leaving a review on itunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter if what i've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business i can help i provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes so please get in touch if you'd like to know more head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with russ until next time take care